sitting there thinking about the song and thinking about the tears. I don't think there's anything that gives a more beautiful tone to the song than the tears. And I believe the Lord loves it. I really do. He must love our tears. He puts them all in a bottle. That's what he said in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. He bottles them up, bottles up our prayers. And uh, I tell you, they're just a wonderful fellowship between God and His people. I want you to turn your Bible, please, to Exodus chapter 18. And uh, I'll try to follow the Lord in this and give you something that I hope will be a blessing to you and, and will benefit you and help you. I'm going to call this chapter, and I really wrestle with this. I, I can't be 100% certain that I'm right on target with it, but it just seems like it kind of fits to me. And I want to call this out of the mouth of babes or from the mouth of babes. You know, it's amazing what you can learn from a baby. I mean, just a little baby. Watching that baby. I love to watch babies. Babies are the funniest thing on this planet. And they can be the most irritating as well. Uh, sometimes uh, a baby, well, brother, and I think I've said this, but that's all right. Brother, uh, well, I'll think of his name in a minute. I've always known it. That's a real problem I have, as you know. But uh, a dear brother who used to be a tremendous preacher, he's with the Lord now, but he used to say that one reason God brings us into this world as babies is because uh, if He didn't, first thing we'd do, take a knife and cut the doctor's throat and our mother's because we're mean. And so He brings us into this world as, as babies. And then uh, sometimes those babies are what Bodie Bachman called a terror in a, what was it, a terror in a diaper or something like that. And they are indeed, they can be that way. And the reason God made them so cute is to keep us from killing them. But uh, we can learn a lot from babies. And I like to watch them. And I like to uh, try to interact with them. And uh, you know how you are with your grandkids and such, especially those grandbabies and all. But uh, I believe you can learn... From anything. I believe that God has designed growth in such a way that there are different things that can add to our growth. If we'll just pay attention. You have to pay attention. You have to learn to observe. Sometimes we're too busy talking. And I think that's one reason the Scriptures tells us to study, to be quiet. In other words, that's God's way of saying keep your mouth shut. You might learn something. You might know something. And sometimes I'm too talkative. Sometimes I get out of hand and I, and I catch myself and I think, Tommy, you need to shut your mouth now. Because often when I get too talkative, next thing you can almost say the wrong thing. Or say something that I certainly should not say, that it does not fit the moment or it may hurt somebody's feelings. And so we, we are so much better off if we are observing. I, I, I like a thinking person, don't you? I like a thinking. I guess if I had, if I had, and I don't, but if I had a favorite statue, it would be the one of the thinker. I can't remember the guy's name who, anybody know that? That fellow's name that created that? Okay. 
or I didn't, I didn't know his name, but I thought I knew it, but I guess I didn't. But anyway, he, he created the thinker, and he's got him, you know, in this kind of position, like he's giving something deep thought. And I, I love thinkers, and I believe people who study the Scriptures are thinkers. People who love the Word of God are thinkers. You cannot read that Bible and get anything out of it if you're not willing to think on what you're reading. You've got to give your mind to it. And of course, because of the flesh, we have a problem with that. Because of outward distractions, we have a problem with that. And it's hard to find a place where you can really get alone and just set your mind on the Word of God and not be distracted. And if it's not distracted from without, it'll be distracted from within, on the inside of us, because we have such a hard time with this flesh. But you can't become acquainted with the Word of God without giving it serious thought. And the first thing that we have to understand about God is, though He is, I believe, that God has uh, a humorous side to Him. I believe He does. Now, when the Scripture speaks of God laughing, it always speaks of Him laughing with uh, in wrath. Laughing with in wrath. Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2 deals with that. Uh, on one occasion, and other scriptures does as well. He said, I'll laugh when your fear cometh, and I'll mock you. you. You've mocked me, you've laughed at me, but I will, I will mock you and laugh at you when your fear comes. He's talking to people who are full of rebellion and refuse to repent. The leadership of the world, the nations of the world, and everybody who falls in behind them to follow them on their destructive... Uh, Efforts to destroy God if they possibly can, to wipe Him off the planet, to get Him out of, the, out of their hair. That was the purpose of the religious crowd in Jesus' day. The reason they crucified the Lord Jesus is because His presence made them look like what they were, a bunch of hypocrites, those religious leadership. And so they said, we've got to get rid of this guy before he exposes all the truth about us and we lose the people. And so, uh, but man hates God. But when we, when we come to the Bible, one thing that will help us tremendously is opening the Word of God soberly with a serious mind so that you can give serious thought to the most serious things that life holds. Because this is where we find it right here. God is not interested in giving us uh, the latest joke of the day or the joke of the week or whatever. God's not interested in getting us laughing. Uh, if we have a laugh, it's good. If it's a holy laugh, that's wonderful. Especially that is wonderful. A merry heart doeth good like medicine. And I think sometimes God will let us see a dog chase his tail just to get us tickled at it because we need to be cheered up. We need to... We need to enjoy that. Maybe the Lord enjoys that. He'll get a dog chasing his tail every once in a while. And uh, other animals doing crazy things. I laugh at them two dogs we've got all the time because of the way they interact with one another. They watch one another like they can't wait to kill the other one. They're so full of jealousy, both of them, so jealous of one another. But I enjoy watching animals, birds, I mean... Uh, the ferocious animals, the lions and the tigers. I like to go to the zoo. I like National Geographic. 
things like this. This interests me. And I like to think about them. Sometimes I look at them and then I do like the Lord Jesus did. When He got up to preach, He used them in His sermons. Behold, the fowl of the air, the lilies of the field. And He would use these things as He would give illustration of the truth that He is that He's declaring. And God has given us these illustrations along because a picture is worth a thousand words, as someone has said. And so it seems like it helps us to grasp truth that much more. But if we will apply ourselves to thought, to thinking, thinking is extremely important to all of us. We can think ourselves into well-being. We can think ourselves into ill-being. We can make ourselves sick with some of the things that we have to, that crowds our mind. Especially when it comes to the imaginary part of thinking. Sometimes we think on things that are not even true. And we're, we're, we are, we are prone to believe that. And, and it may be something that makes us feel bad about ourselves. And so we've been lied to by our own mind. By our own heart, which is the biggest liar in all the county. Our own heart. It'll lie to you. It's desperately wicked. It lies. It deceives. It's deceitful. And I mentioned that this morning. Evidently somebody may be having a hard time with their heart. A lot of things that we hear that is not right don't come from the telephone, don't come from the papers, don't come from conversation, but it comes from within. Because we imagine it, we think about it, and, and, and our wicked imagination builds it up. And it's interesting when we go back to Genesis chapter 6, and we think about the days of Noah. One of the things that marked the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, and what was it, verse 6 or somewhere in there? The, uh, the thoughts and imaginations of men's hearts were only evil continually. Evil continually. Your mind can really trash your entire being, your soul, and it can make you sick, and it can make you so carnal in thought. And when you come to Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, you got to be careful what you think on. He said that you have to be careful that it Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, bring every thought under subjection. Bring it into control. Because when you're not thinking right, then you're going to find yourself in some trouble. Because what is imagination to start with may come up to be something material and physical before it's over. And you find it to be as tangible as this pulpit right here. And so this is where we get into trouble. It usually begins, a temptation, for example, may usually begin with a thought. May begin with a thought, just a simple thought. And a thought that we have no business thinking. Now, as the saying, the old saying used to go, you can, uh, you can, you can't help it if a bird lights on your head, but you can't help it if you allow them to build a nest there. And so we have these thoughts, and because you have an evil thought does not necessarily mean that you've sinned. It means you have a sinful nature in you. But it's when you begin to give it some consideration. 
And you begin to add thought to that thought. And you allow it to build up. How many people have you killed in your mind? You've killed them because you hated them. And the reason you hated them is because they did something you didn't want them to do. And all of this road rage and all this junk that takes place out on the highway and these physical ways of... Uh, of, uh, of communicating with one another. You know how they do. All of those filthy little signs that they throw at one another from the cars because they pull out, you pull out in front of them or you're not going fast enough and they'll sit down on the horn and all. And, uh, I always think, wait till you get my age and you'll find out you've got to take it easy now. And, uh, but anyway, you know, this is, these things come up. And before you know it, you've already shot that individual in your mind. You've already uh, cussed out loud in your mind. You can't trust the flesh. The flesh, the, the flesh is in our way constantly. It is nothing but a big obstacle, a big boulder that slows our spiritual progress and causes us to get in such a bad way. It hinders our prayers. And it hinders our Bible study. And it's amazing to me. Now, I've thought a lot of times about when King David did what he did. In, uh, what was it, 2 Samuel 13, 12? And uh, he was in there laying on the bed. Now, the Bible said in that 13, or 12th chapter said, at a time when kings go forth to war, to go forth to battle, that was a time for kings to go forth to battle. But David didn't go. He stayed at Jerusalem. He stayed at home. He sent Joab in his place to lead the army. And so they, instead of him being all fighting against the enemies of God as he should have been, what is he doing at that particular time? He's lounging. He's lounging. And I'm going to tell you, there's some truth to that. An idle mind is a devil's workshop. There's some truth to that. And that's exactly what happened to David. When he should have been writing another song, or maybe when he should have been writing a song, or plucking the harp and singing music to God, or maybe he should have been down on his knees praying and seeking the Lord. Whatever the case was, he was lounging, lying on his pallet, lying on his couch, his bed there. And then he got up from his nap or whatever, and he goes over, and he looks out the window, and what does he see down there in clear view? There's a woman down there bathing, a beautiful woman. And, and, and instead of quickly turning away, because you know not to trust your flesh, the wise thing to do is turn away and get occupied with something else. Try to get your mind on something clean and holy and right. But he didn't do that. And we don't always do what we ought to do. And we ought to, that's the first thing that we ought to confess. Because if there's anybody I know not to trust, it's me. Because I know me better than anybody else does with the exception of the Holy Ghost. He knows me better than I do. And I'm afraid the devil knows too much about me. And so he knows my weak places and he knows what I'm attracted to as we pointed out already today. But what did David do? He looked. And if he had turned away, that look would not necessarily have been sinful. But he didn't. He kept looking. He kept looking. If you keep looking, you're going to get caught in the trap. 
If you keep looking, you're going to commit adultery in your heart. And Jesus is the one who told us, Thou hast said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But He said it when that was written, it does not mean just physical adultery. He said, because when a man looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And there's a whole lot of that going on constantly, every single day. And so somebody said, well, as long as I don't touch, it's all right to think. But that's not true. An idle mind, every idle thought. The Bible says we're going to give account to God for every idle thought, every idle word. Words are thoughts that are with a garment on. They come out. Uh, What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And it comes up out of the heart. Those evil thoughts and an evil eye. There's so much the Bible talks about, uh, about the sinful self and, and puts that evil on the front of it. But he, Jesus said, you commit adultery. You commit adultery in your heart. And it's bad. It, it, is, it, it is in the eyes of God, it is adultery. In the eyes of God, it is fornication. In the eyes of God, it is sexual immorality. In the eyes of God, you are guilty. I am guilty of sexual perversion. Whatever that thought process is stirring up on the inside. And so that's another reason that we're better off a lot of times never turning the tube on, keeping it off and staying away from it. Especially if we're drawn to such as that. We have to be very careful. I don't know how old David was when he had his problem with Bathsheba. Some people say 50 years old. Some people say it was later in his life. 50, 59 years old. I'll tell you one thing. You never get too old to not sin. Amen. You never get so old that the devil can't find something to use to attract you with. Some carrot to put on the end of a, on a piece of string on the end of the stick to hold in front of you to get you going whichever way he's wanting you to go. You gotta be very careful. And so, we, we learn from these things. We learn how to think. We learn how to speak. Words to use. Words not to use. The less language of the world I use, the better off I think that I am. And so I try not to pick up their languages, but you know what it finally does to me in the end? They start talking and I don't have a clue what they're talking about. I don't, I don't, don't use that language. I don't understand what they're talking about a lot of times. But that's alright. I'd rather be ignorant toward the world than ignorant toward the Lord. And so I want to, I want to learn scriptural ways of speaking. And I think that that shows itself up in our prayer life. Scriptural ways of speaking to the Lord. I like to find myself quoting Scripture sometimes while I'm praying and such as that. But I like to stay as clean away from the world as I possibly can. Again, because I don't trust my flesh. I've told God, Brother Ronnie, I don't know how many times I have told my Lord, God You are the only one 
that is absolutely trustworthy. I said, God, I trust you. I believe you. I can count on you. But you are the only one who is absolutely trustworthy. Amen. And I don't mean by what I'm about to state that my wife is an evil woman because I believe I can trust her. But I cannot trust her 100% and fully. Why? Because she's got a criminal on the inside of her as well, just like I do. She's got an old man on the inside of her. I have one on the inside of me. She cannot trust me 100%. And she knows better. Now, I hear people, this is, I'm kind of rambling, I understand. But I think the Lord is saying something to us, and we better listen. I hear parents talk about letting their kids go out and they run the street and they spend the night and they do this, that, and the other out yonder in the world. And they say, I don't worry about my child. I trust little Junior. I trust little Sally. I trust them. And don't you dare accuse my child of doing so and so. There used to be a time when a neighbor could tell uh, the neighbor... Uh, on the children, tell, tell them, I saw your boy, you, he was down there doing this, down there smoking a cigarette or down there drinking a beer or whatever. And you usually could tell them that. But now if you tell them that, they'll punch you in the nose. Isn't that right? Yeah. No, my little darling's an angel. Well, don't forget, there's two kind of angels. Amen? And the truth of the matter is, there's a demon spirit that is loose in every person who is lost. I believe every lost person has at least one demon in them. And it's called the spirit of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2. And beloved, they're driven by that. And they, they, are, they are influenced by that. And so, no, we can't be 100% trustworthy or worthy of trust. But our God can. And you'd better not trust yourself. Trust your own mind, your own heart. Let your conscience be your guide. You can't do any of that because the entire man, body, soul, spirit, is fallen in Adam and is sinful as sinful can be. So I, all of that came from, and we took the scenic route again, but all of that came from God wants us to be thinkers. And you know, this is God's will for us. The Scriptures are clear on it. If you want to know the will of God, get in the Bible. It'll tell you. This is God's will for us. Listen to this. There are two kinds of people in the world, according to the Bible. There are the wise and there are the foolish. The wise and the foolish. The wise man builds his house on a rock. A foolish man builds his house on the sand. A wise man will receive counsel. A foolish man is a narcissist. He thinks he knows everything. He don't want anybody telling him anything because he's an expert on everything. Wise people, fool people, a wise person tries to make absolutely certain that he does everything in silence that he would not, or in private, that he would not have a problem for somebody else to see. And I'm talking about things concerning morality and the like. I mean, uh, I don't want to stand out for people. I'm not interested in standing out. I don't want to 
necessarily gain popularity or be known or be called a great preacher or anything like that. I, I want to be a man of God. And I, I may not be able to articulate well. I may not be skilled, a skilled orator and the like. I may stumble around in my, my vocabulary trying to find the right word to use. But I don't want to have the, that kind of reputation that he's the big shot preacher. But I do want people to believe that what I say I believe, I really believe it. And I want them to know that I'm not a hypocrite. I don't want to come across as a hypocrite. I just want to be a Christian. And I want to be a humble Christian. And I have to deal with the flesh to get myself to these places in my life. Because my flesh is just like your flesh. Everybody's flesh is exactly the same. What you battle with, I battle with. We all battle with. One, one, way, one thing that will greatly help us is to always know who our enemy is. If you ever really know who your enemy is, you won't turn your back on him. And you'll always be alert because you know he could attack at any moment. There's some people I wouldn't turn my back on them. And I'm one of them. I'm not going to turn my back on me. I'm not going to say, well, you finally got spiritual enough because that's not the case. I'll fight Amalek till the day I die and leave this world or till the day God raptures me out of here. And so we've got to be, we've got to be very careful. Remember, as I have said before, it's those people who has a high opinion of themselves who are going to hell when they die. They, they think that they, they may not, they may understand that they are sinful enough that uh, they may not go to heaven when they die, but they don't think they are worthy of hell. They don't think that they ought to go to hell. They must be a halfway house somewhere when you leave this world. That's the thoughts of people. Now, I said that to say this. Moses was a wise man. He was a wise man. I mean, you gotta, you've got to have a special gift from God to take the load of a couple of million people on your shoulders, to lead them from one place to another till you finally get them just outside the gates of Canaan. And that's exactly where he led them to for 40 years. For 40 years. And when he was going through it with those people, at times when they wanted to stone him, at times when they wanted to just... Uh, dismantle him in some way and put somebody else in his place to lead them back into Egypt and all this, all of this fighting and everything that it had to go through with these people. The praying, the misery, the weariness, how they would get him down to the place to where he just couldn't hardly go on. God, why have you put all these people on my shoulders? And he cried out prayer like that at times. But Moses, he didn't have another church he could go pastor. That's what a lot of preachers do today. A lot of them are on the run. <laughs> They're on the run. And they're looking for, looking for another church to pastor. They'll stay. I heard of one guy, I was told that when he died, he had pastored, I think they said, 32 churches. 
32 churches in his life. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you a lot of times our getting up and leaving has been because the pressure's on at the time. There's a fire in the furnace, and it's getting hot around there. And they're running. And But look at Moses. He had the pressure on him tremendously. But he didn't have no place else to go. This is the these are the people that he was to pastor. And that word pastor carries the idea, the connotation of shepherding. He was their shepherd. He was leading them. As he was he was telling to them, saying to them what the apostle Paul said to his people, he said, Follow me as I follow Christ. And Moses said, follow me as I follow the cloud, as I follow the pillar of fire, as I follow God. Follow me as I follow God. And that's what they were supposed to be doing. But they didn't like the way that Moses was leading them. No, they didn't like the way God was leading them. And so there was a constant battle. But Moses was a wise man. Solomon's not the only one in the Scriptures who had wisdom, prudence, but Moses had that. Let me tell you how smart he was, how wise he was. He was wise enough to listen to a newborn convert give him some instruction to tell him how it would make it easier on him to lead all those people. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 18 of Exodus. I believe Jethro, Moses' father, father-in-law, was a new convert. And I think that that comes out in this passage of Scripture. And Jethro wasn't a smart mouth. He wasn't a smart aleck. He wasn't trying to get things going his way. What he had to say to Moses was for Moses' benefit. Jethro wasn't going to be around there forever. He was going back home. He he come to visit and he was going to leave and go back home. But while he's here... He's watching. He's thinking. He's observing. That's a wise young convert. Now, usually a young convert, and always really when you come right down to it, a young convert needs to be taught. A young convert needs to respect his elders, respect the pastors and the eldership of the church, and understand that he don't know everything. He needs to be taught. And But... Also, a wise young convert will give himself to that, and if he continues to grow in wisdom, when he becomes an old convert, he will continue to understand he still needs to be taught. We never graduate in our Christianity as long as we're here. We never gain all knowledge. There's no such thing as a Bible expert. There's no such thing as a Jesus expert and a God expert, we're always, as long as we're on this earth planet, babbling babies. Because God is too big for anybody to become an expert on. And the Bible is too big for anybody to become an expert on. He can learn all his Latin, he can learn all of his Hebrew, all of his Greek, all of his Arabic. He can learn everything he wants to learn, but he's still not an expert. I believe as long as Charles Spurgeon, what he well, he went home to be with the Lord when he was about 59 years old, I think. But uh, they said he had a photographic memory. 
Boy, I've thought a lot of times, man, wouldn't that be wonderful? You wouldn't have to carry a single note in your Bible. You wouldn't even have to make notes. I mean, you, you get it. You take a picture of it in your mind, and you got it. You go to the pulpit. You don't even have to look down. You can, you can quote it, and you can declare it. You can expound it. You know where everything is filed away in your mind, and you're, you're, you actually go there and pull the drawer and pull out the file because you've already got it in your mind. To me, that sounds impossible. But there are some men and women both who are greatly gifted. And I understand that Brother Spurgeon had that gift of God. And so he could, he could, what he had, my understanding is he had two or three male secretaries. Notice I said male secretaries because he didn't surround himself with women. And he knew better than to be alone with a woman. And so what did he do? He, he hired him some male secretaries. And he had that vast uh, library filled, just completely filled with volumes upon volumes of works. And here's what he would do. He would go in and say, Now, fellas, I want to think on this subject. And he would name it. Sanctification, justification, election, salvation. This, that, or the other. He'd, he'd name it. And those secretaries would go to the shelves and they would pull off books on that particular subject and bring them and stack them up on Brother Spurgeon's big desk. And he'd sit there and he'd get it down and he'd read it. He'd read it one time and he's got it. Pick it up, he'd read a page or two on it or whatever. One time, he's got it. It's there. Now, I read it one time, and then i got to read that same paragraph two or three more times because of my puny little mind just don't seem to work right, and I can't get it going right. And so, but here, it's like he takes a picture of it in his mind. I'd love to be able to do that. But just to show you the trickery of the flesh, I, there are things that happened yesterday or last week or last month that I, I can't remember. And if you ask for details on it, I couldn't give you the details of it. But watch this. I can remember that dirty joke somebody told me 50 years ago. That's the flesh. That's what we're battling, just such as that. I can remember that picture that I saw 60 years ago. And it'll some back at, sometimes stuff like that will just flash in my mind just like that. You say, where in the world did that come from? Down in there. Down in there. We've got to be armed and dangerous. That's what Paul said for us to be in Ephesians 6. Be armed and dangerous, buddy. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the shield of faith the sword of the Spirit. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Humble yourselves. That old simple self. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He'll lift the real you up. He'll lift that new man up. He'll help you with your life. There's nothing as beautiful as holiness. There's nothing as ugly as even what people consider to be the minutest sin. Anything that is not Christ-like is a possible hatching place where the vipers can lay their eggs. 
and bring forth little vipers and cause a lot of problems with us. Here's this man, Jethro. I ain't got time to deal with it. Time has done got away from me. But he's going to learn something that's going to help him. Moses is going to, he's going to learn something that's going to help him from Jethro. You read that chapter again, and I believe you might be able to see where old Jethro, that may have been where he was converted. And when he was converted, he started knowing some things he didn't know before. And it's amazing when you become converted, two and two begins to be four again. Three and three begins to be six again. Everything starts adding up. Ah, that's why. That's why I had this thought. That's why God warned me about going out. That's why that Scripture, God brought that Scripture to my attention when I was reading the Bible. Things start making sense. Heavenly thoughts, the things of God is the only things that really make sense in this world. There's so much other stuff that don't make a lick of sense, and you wonder how in this world did that ever happen? That don't make any sense. How did that come to pass? That slipped up on me, hit me on my blind side. I wasn't expecting that. Hit me from behind, give me spiritual whiplash. You have all kind of problems because... Such as this. Let's be thinkers and let's always remember sometimes we can learn even from a new convert and we can get help from a new convert. There's nothing better than godly counsel. And if God can use a donkey to talk to a Balaam, God can use a little child. Just be observing and watching. God can use another saint who may not be as grown as, as I am or as you are. But God can use them to say something that is absolutely profound and wonderful and helping. And it's, it, it's, it's more than a band-aid. It's, it's a, it is a balm from Gilead that will cure and help you, get you thinking right again. Always remember that. Father, thank You for the Word tonight. Thank You for the privilege to be together with the saints of God. I love every one of these people, and I thank You for them all. Grow us together, Lord. Get glory from us. May we be the people of God You want us to be. And Father, whether we be few or many, we just want to be a witness, a godly witness to this generation. We want the people around us to know that we are the real thing, that we're not hypocrites, that we love you and we love your word and we love to have a fellowship with our great God walking together with you. Thank you for all you're doing. Keep us this week. Give us a great week in the Lord. In Jesus' name and for his sake we ask it. Amen.